Thank you for listening to the teaching podcast of Muncie First Church. If you would like to know more about us, go to MuncieFirstChurch.com. Or if you would like to support a ministry, go to the giving page, MuncieFirstChurch.com slash give. Well, let's jump into the teaching from this last week. Anybody skate to this when you're younger? <laughs> Gibson skating rink? Never did, huh? It's too far back. That's because you're too young. All righty. I love that. It's old, but it's cool. I think it's, uh, what did you say it was? Who was it that does that one? Anybody know? Associations. Thank you. I knew it, but I couldn't remember. Probably in the late 60s, somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we're looking at we're looking at marriage the last couple of weeks, and and um, this week I want to look at the words cher at the word cherish, and that's why they played that for me. And I'm looking at what the vows that we all said at our weddings really are, what what they said to us, at the promises that we actually made. And I know that somewhere in almost all of your wedding vows, whether you remember it or not, you probably said something like to love and to cherish. Most likely. I, most of the ones that I read that I've gone on uh, online and looked them up, that's what most of them say, to love and cherish. Uh, to love and to cherish. And I feel like almost everyone knows or has an idea at least of what love means. And, you know, we understand the in Greek the three different kinds of love that are, there's more than that, but the three that we mostly talk about uh, that, that we understand in Greek, that there's that eros love, that infatuation, that romantic love, that, that uh, sensual love that comes in our hearts when we boy meets girl and, and all those kinds of things. And then there's that friendship love, philia, which is hopefully developing as well. And, but, you know, philia love can be between anyone, man and men and women and women and men and women and whatever. It's that friendship, that brotherly love that, that we have. And then there's the unconditional love that, that hopefully as a Christian you have not only for your spouse or for your family, but for others, that, that choice that you make, that I'm going to love them no matter what it takes, and I'm not going to quit loving them. I'm going to care for them. I'm going to provide for them. I'm going to be there for them without any exception and without uh, any uh, reciprocation or benefit to me. I'm just going to love because that's the right thing to do. But the word cherish, what about the word cherish? It's it's in almost all the wedding vows, but what does it actually mean? What does it mean to, to cherish someone? How do we cherish someone? And is it really vital to our relationships or just a word that we use in the ceremonies uh, as we get married? I want to share this story with you, and I think it's a great illustration of cherish. It's, a, it's from a young lady who was born in Thailand, and her name is a name that I can't pronounce. So I'm just going to go with her nickname, which is Mint. And her life changed drastically in 2015 when she was crowned a Thai beauty queen. 
When she won this pageant, no one knew her, but according to the Daily Mail, uh, it led to a lucrative film advertising and TV contract. Shortly after winning the pageant, she returned to her hometown and became an internet sensation when she was photographed showing honor to her trash-collecting mother by kneeling at her feet. Mint's mother literally is a trash collector. She sells trash. She collects and sells trash for a living. That's why Mint found her in front of trash bins when she returned from her triumphant win, still dressed in her gown and tiara and colorful sash. Mark now is one of Thailand's new celebrities. The photo of this glamorous young woman kneeling on the dirty pavement in front of a trash collector who was wearing plastic shoes made people gasp and wonder. Without shame, Mint called her mother's trade an honorable profession that kept her family from starvation. She praised her mother's commitment and care. And one week before Mint's win, her mother was all but invisible to all of Thailand. But when she was cherished by her now famous daughter, millions got to hear her story and learn of her character and her worth. This is a picture of what happens when we cherish a loved one. Mint didn't just send her mother a thank you card. She didn't just give her mother a half-hearted hug. She got her dress dirty as she knelt down in front of her where people throw their garbage and their filth and bowed down to a woman in a common dress. This was a sign of respect and adoration and gratitude and honor. And she went out of her way to love her, to make people notice her, to show appreciation to her to hold someone dear. And it was done in such a visible way, kneeling at her feet. It's a picture, really, of what we would call cherish. She felt something in her heart. She believed something in her mind. And she expressed something physically by dropping to her knees. She cherished her mother. That's a picture, I think, of what it means to cherish. But to cherish someone is to love, honor, and protect someone, but it's so much more. And all the way back in Genesis chapter 2, God created Adam. He had created him in his own image. He had made everything for him. Everything was given to him. He was placed in the garden. And the Bible said that God saw that it was all good. But the only thing that he saw that was missing was that Adam was alone. And God said it wouldn't be good for Adam to be alone. So he looked for a suitable creature to be his companion. Out of all the creatures and the ones made on the earth, he looked for a mate for Adam and he found none, the Bible says. Genesis chapter 2 verse 19, it says this, and I think this is up on the board. Now the Lord had formed out of the ground all the wild animals, all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whenever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock the birds in the sky and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. And that's why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. And Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. When God saw that there was no creature to be Adam's companion, God put Adam to sleep. He took a rib, closed it back up, and from this human tissue, he made Eve. And when Adam awakened, he saw Eve for the very first time. 
She was flesh from his flesh. She was like him in so many ways, and she was so different in so many other wonderful ways. Adam's heart was drawn to Eve. When he looked at her, his heart was moved. He was drawn to Eve like a bug to a light. That's a really bad illustration. But it's funny. (laughs) And she was perfect in every way. Eve was perfect. And she was it for Adam, literally. There were no others for him to measure Eve against. He couldn't look over there and say, well, she's a lot sweeter than Eve. She has better legs than Eve. None of that. He had no others to fantasize about. He had no others to compare her to. And the thing is, literally, Adam couldn't have been happier than he was when he met Eve. See, to cherish your wife, your husband, your spouse, is to become fully satisfied with them in your marriage. Fully satisfied. You may look at me and go, that's not possible. But I believe it is. We talk about that. See, to cherish your wife or your husband is to mentally treat your spouse like Adam did Eve. You let him or her be in your mind, in that way, the only man and the only woman in the world. One of the problems we have in the world today is that we look around at everyone else and we compare. We do that in all kinds of things. But when it comes to your marriage and you're comparing, it creates a real problem. Because you don't live with the others. And that's an unfair advantage. Because when you live with somebody, you get to know all about them. How many of you think Facebook's real? How many think everybody puts on Facebook the best images that they know how to put on there and make themselves look like they're wonderful and perfect in every way? Yeah. And that's what happens in our marriages. Everyone else out there looks just perfect. I look out here and I go, well, they're not like you, Darcy. They don't argue with me. But they don't live with me either. (laughs) See, it's to say with King Solomon these words, my dove, my perfect one, is the only one. Song of Solomon, chapter 6, verse 9. Solomon says that about his, his wife. My dove, my perfect one, is the only one. Now, later on, he didn't keep his word. I just want to say that. But for that moment, he was trying hard. Now, one of the biggest problems in the world today is this, and I'm going to say some things that I don't wish I didn't have to say, but it's true. One of the biggest problems in the world today is the problem of comparison. I just mentioned that. And and unfortunately, we call it by a really ugly name. It's, It's a really ugly name. It's called pornography. That's what that is. It's comparison. You can't be looking at porn, men, and make your wife the only one. If you're sitting there looking at porn and saying, but you're the only one, honey, You're wrong. You're lying. You can't look at porn and make her the only one. One aspect of porn is that it clearly states you're not satisfied. And you've got to go somewhere else to get satisfied. You're comparing her to other women and she's found wanting every time because those women are airbrushed and she's not. You're comparing her to other women women, and she cannot keep up with that. You cannot cherish your wife and be looking at porn. Wives, let me tell you something. Porn's a problem for you too. People say it's men's problem, but it's become a woman's problem as well. And it isn't always just pictures. Sometimes it's the things that you read and the stories you watch, the fantasy movies that you watch on TV. Some of them as innocuous as 
as Hallmark and Lifetime movies tell us that men should act a certain way. And when your husband doesn't match up, you compare yourself to him and you, uh, to the, him to the, that guy on TV. And you say, he's found wanting. He doesn't, he doesn't match up. If you would just act like him, if you could go in your hair like him, if you could just be like him. You're not cherishing your spouse with comments about how stupid your husband is. You're not cherishing your wife when you make comments about how inept your wife is. How you can't let them or ask them to do certain things because they'll always mess it up. See, to cherish is to see our spouse as our one and to honor him or her, to showcase them, to stand them up and say, this is my beloved, this is who I find joy in, this is the one I care about. You ever notice how our attention is drawn to things that, uh, they're drawn to things that, that, that we give special care to? For instance, if you're walking down the streets of Washington, D.C., and all of a sudden a long line of black cars, SUVs, and then limousines, and they got little flags on them, and guys walking around, you know, doing that. You ever notice that you stop and you look? Why would you do that? Because special care is being given, and you know there has to be somebody that matters in those cars for them to do that kind of thing. And so you stop and you pay attention. They're being protected. I had a friend who got married, and he went out and he bought his wife a Tiffany engagement ring. I don't know why. I guess that's supposed to be fancy, you know, fancy and special. But you know what? He was showing us the box. The box was better than most people get rings. You know, the box was really amazing. You know, and, and you don't put Tiffany rings in shoe boxes. You don't frame Rembrandts in popsicle frames. If you have... Let me know, I'll buy it off of you for a popsicle price because I want to sell it for a Rembrandt price. If you have a genuine autographed letter from Abraham Lincoln, you don't set your glass on top of it laying on your desk. You don't treat things that you love that way. The way we treat something, the way we acknowledge people tells us whether we cherish them or hold them in indifference and in contempt. So right now, as you're sitting here this morning with me, I want to ask you to do something. I want you to look inside your heart, and you've got to be honest with yourself. You don't have to tell anyone else, so you can do this honestly. Let me ask you a question. How do you treat your husband, your wife, your kids, your friends, the neighbors, the people that are around you? How do you really treat them? Because to truly cherish something is to go out of our way to show it off, to protect it, and to honor it. I've got to tell you the truth. I've got a problem with this. Don't hang out with me if you don't want to see pictures of my grandkids. That's right over here. I could get it for you right now. They're so cute. They're so beautiful. I actually got to go out with them yesterday. I went to Indianapolis yesterday afternoon with my son and his wife and two of my grandkids. And we went to the motorcycle expo and the boats and the campers and all that stuff down at the state fair. And we're walking around and I had Ellie with me. She had a shirt on that said, if, you, if your dad doesn't have a beard, you really have two moms. Uh, <laughs> It's kind of weird, but it's kind of cute, too. She had long blonde hair, and everybody was stopping me. I had her on a leash. 
because that's what they told me to do to keep her from running away. So, because she runs a lot. People were asking me if they could pet her. <laughs> it was just really weird yesterday, but man, I enjoyed myself so much. And I was like, I'm a, I'm a grandfather. I walk around, you know, I, I'm her grandfather. I have a beard too, so I, I, I'm a grandfather. See, they, they matter to me. They're the world's cutest grandkids in my opinion. And I want others to see and recognize and affirm the value that I see in them. Maybe the best example of this is found in Matthew chapter 3, 13. John the Baptist is out in the desert near the Jordan River and he's baptizing people and they're coming in for repentance and he's preaching and teaching them that and then he's baptizing them when they repent and Jesus shows up one day and John recognizes him and Jesus goes to John and he asks him to baptize him and John protests at first he says you should be baptizing me and they go back and forth finally he agrees and he baptizes Jesus and just as Jesus comes up out of the water the Holy Spirit descends upon him in the form of a dove it comes down and it it lands on him in the form of a dove and a voice speaks out and the voice of God says this this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased dude I'm telling you right now I want to hear that from my father that's cherishing somebody God paid honor to Jesus. He cherished him. He held him up and he displayed him and he said, this is my beloved. Who wouldn't want to hear that? Who wouldn't want to feel blessed by that? Cherish isn't a throwaway word. It's an idea that helps us better understand what we are called to do and what we are called to be in all of our life, especially in marriage. Learning to truly cherish each other turns marriage from an obligation into a delight. See, to cherish others is actually a spiritual essential. We think it might be an add-on and an extra, but it's not. It's a spiritual essential. To cherish is the act of placing others before yourself. It lifts marriage above a commitment to a precious priority. It lifts friendships from what can I get out of it to how can I bless them. To cherish something is to hold on to it dearly. That means you think about it, and when you do, you feel great pleasure about it. And you have great affection for it. And if you cherish something, you go out of your way to show that it's important. You showcase it. You say, look, this is the one I love. She's awesome. How many times have you been around a newly engaged young lady who's walking around wanting everybody to see her finger? Or how many times have you been around a guy who just got him a new pickup truck? Oh, you want to see my truck? You want to see my truck? Because we cherish those things. It's our new baby. Have I told you about John Robert and Olivia and and, and Ellie and and Jameson lately? Those are my grandkids. Pretty awesome kids. I think I just said something about that earlier. See, in relationships, we cherish someone. We naturally want to love them and showcase them, and we want to protect them. Physical protection is part of that. Also, protection of an emotional or spiritual sort. Protection of their reputation. Protection of their health. We treat them with tenderness because they matter so much to us. We will not let them just go and do whatever. We will stand in their way at times. Yesterday, Ellie didn't always behave. And her dad and mom stood in her way. I didn't do it so much. But her mom and dad did. They told her no. She looked at me and she said, they're telling me no. I said, they outweigh me right now on this one. (laughs) They matter to us. 
we never would take advantage of those we cherish. We look for ways to nurture them and at least occasionally go out of our way to indulge them. The very thought of them makes me smile. And when we cultivate such an affection towards someone, we naturally want others to see their worth, so we find ways to show them off. We've all seen it. It's one of the most touching scenes, and it's one of the most difficult scenes. I've gone in the hospital, and there's a a man caring for his wife. She's now lying there, and her face is wrinkled, and her hair is gone for the most part, just wisps. She can't talk anymore. She's still alive, but just barely. Drool runs down her face. Her legs are atrophied, and her body is useless. She has Alzheimer's. And she lays there day after day, and her husband of 60 years sits there and gently wipes the drool off of her face and speaks love to her, tells her that she's so beautiful. And you look at him and you go, why? She doesn't even know you're here. Why do you do that? Why do you spend your day here when she doesn't even know you? And the old man smiles and he says, because she's my sweetheart. She's the most beautiful woman in the world. Let me tell you about her. Because he cherishes her. She's his only. And when he talks about her, his eyes still light up. And the song, I Only Have Eyes For You, starts to play. Oh, they've had their problems and their struggles. But they're all forgotten as he can only remember. She's his beloved. See, the, very, the marriage vows you took are not about an institution. The marriage vows are said to God about a person. See, sometimes I think we stand up here and we think that that wedding is about me, that wedding is about her, that wedding is about marriage. It's none of the above. That marriage is us speaking to God about that person that we're standing there with. When God created Eve, He did not create a robot. He did not create an object for Adam to use. He created a partner. Someone to love. Someone to admire. Someone to cherish. So these marriage promises are promise made, and they're made by one person to God about another. They're one-sided promises. They're not made under the condition of reciprocation. They're not made under the condition that he or she will still make me happy. They're not made under the condition that she will stay thin or that he will pick up his shorts. I promised God the day that I married Darcy that I would have and hold her for better, for worse, in sickness and in health, that I would love, honor, and cherish her until death. And the reality is, is even if she chooses not to love me, even if she chooses to leave me, I will love her, I will honor her, I will lift her up, I will point out her good points and tell her boys how awesome she is and how she is the best ever until I die, because that's a promise I made to God. Unfortunately, we've forgotten how to honor and cherish each other. In many marriages today, we have replaced honor and cherish with contempt. 
Contempt is actually the exact opposite of honor and cherish. It's looking at our spouse or our partner with disdain. It's noticing all their flaws. It's looking at them and saying, look at all the flaws in that person. And they're easy to find. Anybody here want to admit that sometimes you can find the flaws in your spouse? There's only a few of us honest guys in the room. The rest of you sitting there lying like crazy in church. (laughs) It seems like all the mistakes are so obvious We have such an eye to our own superiority over our spouse if we're not careful. It's like we somehow believe we make no errors and they make all the errors. And we expect them to give us grace, but we give none back to them. Contempt is the great predictor of divorce. I promise you, if you have contempt, you're headed down the road. If you're living in contempt of your spouse, you're headed down the road towards divorce. It's it's on the way. I promise you. I promise you. It's the number one factor that tears couples apart because we quit caring, we quit loving, we quit honoring, we quit respecting. We quit looking at them as though they have value. They're just in the way. People who are focused on criticizing their partners will miss at least 50% 50 of the positive things their partners are doing. And guess what? Everyone I ever talk to who comes in and says, we're having problems, I can find positive things in both sides. They just can't see that anymore because they're so filled with contempt and anger and frustration towards each other. People who give their partner the cold shoulder, deliberately ignoring the partner or responding just minimally to what they're doing, damage the relationship by making their partner feel worthless and invisible as if they're not there and as if no one cares. I believe contempt is the opposite of what Jesus taught us in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, turn the other cheek, walk the extra mile, He was saying to us, there's human beings, those are people, and they matter. So you do these things to show love to them. Love when you're criticized. Care when they don't. Honor even when they don't deserve it. That's what Jesus did. And this doesn't stop. Again, this doesn't stop even if you get divorced. This is hard right here, but it's true. Loving, honoring, and cherishing an ex-spouse is how you bring your kids to Jesus. You may say, what in the world? Honestly, right now, you can't ever separate from them fully, especially if you have kids. And those kids need to know that your ex-spouse, that you're you're still loving their mom by praying for their dad, by praying for him. And when they see you loving and honoring and cherishing and they see Christianity making that kind of a difference in your life, I promise you, it'll change them. It's keeping your part of the oath, the vows. Even if you're married to another, Christ cherishes us, his bride. Let me ask you a question right now. As Christ's bride, are you always lovable? (laughs) Are you always loving? Do you always show loving side of you all the time? Or is that just for Facebook? Are you always faithful? Because sometimes I got to be honest with you, in my spiritual life, I've cheated. Are you always focused on the groom? Because sometimes I get focused on a lot of other things. Have you ever been contemptuous to Christ, your beloved? And my guess is that yes, all of us have, but he always returns those things with love. He cherishes you. He holds you up. And he keeps saying, this is my beloved. I love that song when we sang that this morning. It tore me up, man. You know, that one of these days we walk in and he's standing there. 
And it's going to be like, you know, Mark, <laughs> I loved you every step of the way. It never changed for me. Cherishing teaches us to indulge our spouse and thus help heal their spiritual wounds. I love this. This is the best picture that I could find. In Ezekiel, Israel is seen as the baby born left to die. Ezekiel chapter 16 talks about this if you want to look it up. Let me read it for you. On the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to make you clean, nor, you, nor were you rubbed with salt or wrapped in cloths. No one looked on you with pity or had compassion enough to do any of these things for you. Rather, you were thrown out into the open field. For on the day you were born, you were despised. But then I passed by, and I saw you kicking about in your blood. And as you lay there in your blood, I said to you, live. And I made you grow like a plant of the field, and you grew, and you developed, and you entered puberty, and your breasts had formed, and your hair had grown, and yet you were stark naked. And later I passed by, and when I looked at you and saw that you were old enough for love, I spread the corner of my garment over you, and I covered your naked body, and I gave you my solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you, declares the sovereign Lord, and you became mine. I bathed you with water. I washed blood from you. I put ointments on you. I clothed you with an embroidered dress, and I put sandals of fine leather on you, and I dressed you in fine linen. I covered you with costly garments. I adorned you with jewelry. I put bracelets on your arms and a necklace around your neck. I put a ring on your nose and earrings on your ears and a beautiful crown on your head, so you were adorned with gold and silver, and your clothes were of fine linen and costly fabric and embroidered cloth. And your food, it was honey and olive oil and the finest flour. And you became very beautiful and you rose to be a queen. And your fame spread among the nations on account of your beauty because the splendor I had given you made your beauty perfect, declares the sovereign Lord. Ezekiel 16, 4 through 14. And it's a beautiful picture. It's a picture. I hope you heard it. I hope you saw it. I hope that registers on your mind. See, Israel's lying in her own blood the birth blood and the umbilical cord is still attached and in the picture god sees her and he stops and he picks her up and he tells her to live and then further on down in ezekiel we see that god has chosen her for his own we see what god does for his beloved she is one spoiled spouse he doesn't make her shop at walmart or the thrift store she wears the name brands, the best money can buy. Being cherished by God meant that Jerusalem was not only dressed lavishly, but she was fed generously. She doesn't eat dirty dog, hot dogs from the sidewalk vendors. She is being fed the most choice of food. She shops at the Whole Food Market where everything costs twice as much. The food is nurturing, it's tasty. In short, God doesn't just provide for Jerusalem, He cherishes her. He adores her. He nurtures her. He indulges her. And when he told her to live, he was clearly intending her to live abundantly. All out. And notice what this cherishing, this attentive care did for Israel. It says he lifted her from a dependent baby left to die, neglected and despised to become a stunningly beautiful, powerful, even regal woman Envied by all, he said, you became very beautiful, rose to be a queen. That's what God did for Israel. And we are Israel. We are his chosen. That's what he did for you. That's what he did for me. That's the picture of how he means for us to love and cherish others 
as he has loved and cherished us. And especially, that's what God wants you to do for your spouse. He wants you to cherish her and him. See, if marriage is about demonstrating God's character, and I believe it is, our love for our spouses should be so intense and so enthusiastic and so supportive that a transformation that is similar to the picture in Ezekiel occurs. Right now, guys, if you're walking around saying, my wife, she's just kind of a loser. I kind of got stuck. Well, that's on you. Because if you would just pour into her and love her like God loved Israel, she'll become queen. She will begin to blossom. She will begin to become something that you can't believe. And women, if you're walking around saying, well, I got stuck with that old guy. He just, you know, he's just, a, he's just a, a, a slug, man. You know, nothing about him's right. You know, he just sits there, does his own thing, ignores me. Treat him like this. Find out what happens. Find out what happens. Healing will occur when you truly cherish your spouse. Your spouse will even become more beautiful when you cherish her. That's what that says. I believe that. Your husband will become more handsome. Nobody else may notice it, but you will when you cherish him. Keep in mind that the biblical model of cherishing is basically the reverse of the world's model. In the world, the idea of cherishing in marriage flows out of a spouse's excellence. I cherish you because you're so wonderful. The biblical model is your excellence flows out of my cherishing you. We give value to our spouses when we cherish them. Well, there's a whole bunch more that could be said about all this, but I don't want to wrap this up. And I want you to remember this. Because Christ loved you and gave his life for you and has cherished you, he has brought healing to your life. If right now you're living outside of that, it's your fault. He has called you to that and he wants you in his life. And now because you're cherished, you can love others. And you can cherish others as Christ did you. You can bring healing and hope to them. To love, to honor, and cherish is the biblical call and mandate on all of our lives, not just in marriage, but in all aspects of life. It's the opportunity for us to make a real difference. The world doesn't cherish people very much. Things, stuff, those are the things that they may say make a difference. God says no. It's us loving, cherishing, lifting up. Our spouse, my wife, my beloved, my perfect one. She is the only one. Amen. Father, that's, that's what I think you've given me for this day. And it's not the normal thing that I would preach, but God, I believe it's truth and it's something you're teaching me. I never said I did it perfectly. I struggle with it like all of us. But God, I pray that you will help us in this church to begin to love like that and to begin to honor like that and to begin to cherish each other, starting with our spouses and our children and our grandchildren and then moving forward into cherishing all those who are around us that we can begin to lift them up and then out into the world that we can begin to offer Christ's love by cherishing even the world that we live in and showing them that they are your beloved. Thank you, Jesus, for the truth of this. Lord, I pray right now that it's sinking into some hearts. 
that there's some people whose lives are being changed by this, who are, who are kind of messed up by this a little bit. Lord, I pray that they will not stop until they have sought you with all their heart and found you and that you will show them, number one, that you cherish them and then given them the ability to cherish others. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing. Thank you for your love. Lord, as we get ready to go now into time of fellowship, I pray that we would go there and that we would cherish each other, that we would show love and, and uh, we would lift each other up and showcase each other and, and give honor and, and cherish to each other. I pray that you will bless the food that we're about to eat. I pray that you will bless the fellowship, that it will be rich, that it will overwhelm us, that we will see you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Man, Lord bless you. Have a great week. And